Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. Get in you talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of the Dan Scott Show podcast, and Happy New Year. Our first episode of 2022, and optimistic as I am, I believe we've got a good one lined up for you here today. We'll tell you more about it in just a moment. I do hope that you had a great Christmas and New Year's, that you got through it uh, unscathed, or relatively unscathed anyway, and that the uh, new year is off to a good start. If it's not, we'll try to provide you a little bit of a lift today. Our goal is to inform and entertain, and uh, above and beyond everything else, by the time the podcast episode is done, to have learned something that we did not know. And back in the old radio show days, I always said it starts here in the captain's chair because, as my wife will tell you, there's an awful lot that I don't know. To get 2022 underway, we are coming out smoking. Our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Dennis Sarfate. He's a former big league baseball player, Brewers, Astros, Orioles. Spent a decade playing professionally in Japan where he had the unlikely experience of becoming an American baseball player who became a Japanese legend called the King of Closer, which we will explain a little bit later on. And now he is spending his uh, retirement years, and relatively young man still, but spending his retirement years with a much higher calling. He is a Christian. We're going to talk about how he found Jesus during his career as a baseball player, and now how he is trying to eradicate abortion in this country and preserve the sanctity of human life. It's an incredible story, and I think you're going to enjoy this extended interview, almost an hour long with Dennis Sarfate coming up in just a moment. I do need to tell you that the podcast, as always, is presented by Todaro Pizza. They're located on Markley Street in downtown Greenville, just down the block from Fleurfield where the Greenville Drive play. Bucket list pizza. I tell you that all the time. I do so because I believe it. If you've never been to this area and you've never tried Todaro Pizza, you need to make sure that it's on your to-do restaurant's when you visit. Those of us who are from here, we've had the Clemson location for uh, over 20 years now. The Greenville location is about three years old, maybe a little less. It is phenomenal. They have been such a great addition to the West End of Greenville. They support what we do at the Greenville Drive. And look, folks, I hope you know me well enough by now. If the food wasn't any good, I wouldn't be promoting them. So uh, tell John how much you appreciate his 
uh, supporting of this podcast, the Dan Scott Show podcast, Todaro Pizza, T-O-D-A-R-O Pizza. Find them on Facebook and on Twitter, Todaro Pizza Greenville. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out there perhaps sometime soon. All right, we need to take a break and tell you about some of our other sponsors. And then when we come back, Dennis Sarfate will be up with us. And I think you're really going to enjoy this extended interview. This is the Dan Scott Show podcast, episode nine. Back in a moment. When it's time for a new mortgage or refinance, finding someone with a proven track record of both success and customer service can be an issue. Scott Fowler of Guaranteed Rate is the solution to both problems. Scott has helped thousands of clients achieve their home ownership dreams for over two decades and has been recognized as a top 1% originator in the U.S. by both Mortgage Executive Magazine and Scotsman Guide. And about that customer service, 96% of Scott's customers say they would use him again. Take advantage of the incredibly low finance rates while you can. Let Scott and his team guide you through the process start to finish. Call today, 864-915-8779. Again, that's 864-915-8779. Or find out much more online at www.rate.com slash Scott Fowler. Scott Fowler and Guaranteed Rate. Hey friends, Booty Catherine here, native of Greenville and eight-time competitor on NBC's American Ninja Warrior. And I want to tell you about Motive School of Movement, our new ninja and parkour gym right here in Greenville where we are teaching movement and functional fitness to people ages five and up and of every ability and skill level, and they're loving it. We've got families that work out together, kids that leave the gym sweating and tired who can't wait to come back. We've even got a 62-year-old member taking adult parkour classes. And if you've got a child who would enjoy a Ninja Warrior-themed birthday party, we're your place. Together with Brett and Grace Sims and Bob Reese, we've created Motive School of Movement in an incredible facility located just behind Haywood Mall on Webb Road. Stop by and see us in person or take a virtual tour at motivemovement.org. That's motivemovement.org. Or just search Motive School of Movement or call us at 864-775-4844. That's 864-775-4844. The power of choice is a game changer in any walk of life, and insurance coverage is no different. Dana McMahon and Goosehead Insurance give you that power. With over 80 insurance carriers to shop, Dana finds the best coverage at the best price. How successful is he? Goosehead's client loyalty score is more than double that of traditional agencies, and the local agency in Taylor's has a 97.8% customer satisfaction rating. Goosehead specializes in home and auto insurance, but offers all lines of personal coverage. And Gooseheads Cutting Edge Technology speeds up the quote process. Find out how much you can save on insurance today. Call Dana McMahon at Goosehead Insurance, 864-626-6745. That's 864-626-6745. Or visit www.gooseheads.com. That's Dana McMahon and Goosehead Insurance. Dan Scott here for the Atlanta Bread Company. What do I like about Atlanta Bread? Well, too much to mention in a short commercial, but here are a few things. Bread baked daily, fresh on site. A tremendous selection of soup, sandwiches, and salads. Seasonal special additions to the menu. Delicious hot coffee and a bevy of other drink options. And yeah, can't forget about the baked sweet goodies. Dine in or carry out. And when you have the Atlanta Bread Company app, you can order and pay online. Then breeze past the lines to the pickup counter to get your food. Experience it for yourself. 
That's the Atlanta Bread Company, Cherrydale Point in Greenville. Let me tell you something, Cowboy. This rookie can really bring the heat. He's smoky and spicy with a Chipotle style all his own. It's a new Montgomery and Chipotle barbecue sauce. Make it a part of your home team. Available now at your neighborhood grocer or online at CincyFavorites.com. All right, welcome back. It is uh, episode nine of the newly rebranded Dan Scott Show podcast. The uh, grumpy old broadcasters have gone by the wayside. Good to be back. Our first new episode of 2022. And, uh, you know, I'm ever the optimist. I always think that we have a good one in store for you. I say that just about every episode. I, I truly believe that today. Because as I said in the uh, open prior to the first break, uh, passions in my life beside my wife and my family include Jesus and baseball. And I get to talk about both of them today with our guest. Dennis Sarfate is a former Major League Baseball player, but he made his biggest name in the game in Japan starting in 2011 and was so dominant he earned the nickname King of Closer for Japanese baseball. Dennis Sarfate is joining us here. We're going to talk about a lot of different things with him, including maybe the single most hot-button topic in America today. We'll save that for a little bit later on. Dennis, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks, Dan, for having me on. Uh, you know, the, the uh, Internet uh, in particular and social media specifically uh, is a mixed bag. It, it, it has its good points and it has its downside. But I have to tell you, since I started this podcast uh, in its original form back in 2020, the early part of uh, 2020, I have been able to wrangle a number of guests simply by doing what I did with you, finding somebody, a story that I see on Facebook or Twitter, shooting off a message and, and, and having people be willing to interact with me to set up interviews like this. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being willing to do this, especially on short notice. Absolutely. So it's the uh, glory of social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, like I said, it's it's got its upside, and and we know that it has its its downside. It's it's like everything else, though, isn't it? It, it depends on just yep. how you use it. Absolutely. So before we we recap and, and kind of tell your story moving forward, uh, what are you doing now? You're in in Arizona, correct? I live in Chandler, Arizona. Yep. I got three girls, uh, Kinsley, Fair, and Jade. They're 10, 13, 10, and 8. And my wife is with baby right now, and he will be born May 5th, or the due date is May 5th. So we get we we finally get our we finally get our boy. In Japan, they would say I had three balls, and they said you don't want to walk a guy. So <laughs> I, I'm glad I got that boy in there. Was it a matter where you're gonna keep trying until you got one, or did your wife say this is your last shot? No, to, to be honest, we stopped, you know, with the youngest being eight, my wife had some health stuff come up in 2012 and we just said, okay, after this next baby, that's it. We were in the process of adopting and through that process, the courts lost our paperwork. Uh, it got pushed back months and next thing you know, it, we were ready to adopt and then she's like, I'm pregnant. And so we kind of put that on hold for right now, but, uh, yeah, pretty crazy how God's providence uh, determined that whole story. Yeah, what, what does he tell us in his word? My ways are higher than your ways. That's right. 
That's right. We always want to be the artist in the painting and we're, Really, we just need to look at it and trust God. Yeah, yeah. which is, uh, as a former pastor of mine used to say, Dennis, sometimes easy preaching and hard living. That's right. So, well, let's, let's, um, let, let's start from, from the, the baseball aspect of things. Uh, you, you were drafted by the uh, Milwaukee Brewers uh, in the uh, early part of the 2000s, 2001, I believe. But, but even before that, was baseball always a passion of yours? Yeah, I grew up in New York, so I was a diehard Yankee fan before the Yankees were actually really good um, in the you know mid-80s, late-80s. Don Mattingly was my favorite player growing up. Um, just loved the game. My dad would take me to Yankee Stadium. I would go to Shea Stadium. Played, started playing. My dad said he put a ball in my hand at the age of three, and it never, never stopped. There's always had a ball in my hand. Um, when I got to Little League, I was definitely above the rest – in that, in that range uh, that I was playing in. And then my dad made the ultimate decision to move to Arizona where I could play year round. Now he says it was so I could play baseball year round. I just think he was tired of the, the crime in New York and living in Brooklyn. And, but uh, I got to Arizona, was able to play year round because the weather was so nice and it just took off uh, in high school. I was one of the best in the state. I got drafted out of high school by the Texas Rangers in the 15th round, but turned it down because I had a full ride to ASU and um, went there. And then my journey started. College wasn't all that I thought it was going to be. Ended up transferring out of ASU my sophomore year. Uh, got caught up in the, the politics of being a student athlete and, and not really going to class. And so I needed to get out. I went to a junior college by my house, first year program, and got drafted by the Brewers in the ninth round. That that resonates with me a little bit. I was a preacher's kid turned loose on the world for the first time back in 1985. My college career lasted exactly one semester. Yeah. And, and I promise you, I did not major in that one semester what I originally went to school for, if you know what I mean. So. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, where was baseball in the pecking order of your life? Number one, I, I growing, and even in high school, I was such a straight-edge kid. I didn't party. I didn't go out. I didn't do anything. Baseball, if anything was going to detract me from playing or get possibly getting in trouble, then I was done. My parents got divorced uh, when I was in junior high. I raised myself pretty much from the time I was 13 until I left, the, left home to go to college when I was 18. But during that time, it, it's like you give, a, you give a 14 or 15 year old the keys to the house and say, there's no rules. I don't think too many are going to do what I did. I mean, I made my own meals. I was home every night. I did my homework and I got up the next morning and went to school every day. So it was, it was God, you know, even when I wasn't a believer back then, God was definitely directing my path. And, and as I did some, some research on your background, you, you were raised Catholic. And I, I heard you say in one of the interviews that, that I listened to previously that for you, that basically meant going to church on Christmas and Easter. Yep. That was, uh, I called myself the Italian Catholic, the, uh, the mobster Catholic, where you, you go to church on Christmas and Easter and the rest of the year you live how you want. Um, I, you know, I got baptized young. I did communion. I did confirmation. I was dropped off there by my parents it wasn't until I actually got saved that I looked back and realized that I had never owned or looked or opened a Bible my entire life until I got to pro ball and was surrounded by some other Christian guys 
when even then I still wasn't a believer, but at least I had opened a Bible and saw it. We're visiting with uh, Dennis Sarfate, who is a former big league pitcher. A, a, I guess it's accurate to call you a legend in, in the Japanese professional leagues, and, and we'll get into to that part <clears throat> of your story here in, in just a bit. And, and now, is uh, since he's retired from baseball, is it accurate to say you're a political activist? Yeah, yeah, activist, lobbyist. Um, really, the only thing we really cover is, is abortion. So uh, I guess I'm an activist for the for the for the preborn. So yeah, for sure. Right, and which we're we're going to get into to that part of of your story coming up in, in just a bit. I, I, I'm curious about, and again, watching a couple of interviews today and 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 seeing how your life turned once you got into baseball. What precipitated that turn? Because you, you talked about drinking, you talked about partying, you talked about all of these things. So how, how do you go from being a self-disciplined, almost emancipated minor, based on what you told us just a moment ago, to making that turn into that lifestyle that seems to grab so many people when they get into professional baseball? Yeah, so I guess you have to go back. So my parents were divorced, but they were both alcoholics, um, raised in that kind of atmosphere. That's why I kept myself clean. I didn't want anything to do with it in high school. College was a different story. Got introduced to partying. And then when you get drafted and you go in the pro ball, now you're above everyone else. You, you feel like you're untouchable. There's nothing that can happen to you. I mean, I have a boat of stories that I am ashamed of, of my pro ball years. Uh, even when I got to the big leagues and the, amount of just narcissism you're around and the the money and all of that being said when i got to japan i got away from all of this noise i was able to actually just reflect on my own life and start because you know when you're around this with 25 other guys and say 15 of those guys are doing the same thing you're doing you don't think you're doing anything wrong you think you're just living the way everyone else is supposed to live i would dabble in in chapel on Sundays for a, a good inning, thinking it was good luck. But when I got to Japan in 2011, I started to see how it was always me. It was always my selfishness, my, my own desires of the flesh that always led me to do the things I was doing. And so at the end of 2011, my wife had gone home uh, back to Japan or from Japan back to America with my two girls, Kinsley and Fair at the time. And I woke up one day hungover from the night before and then I was just empty. Like I, I had enough. I looked in the mirror and I, I just said, God, if you are real, then I need you to help me because I can't, there's gotta be something better to life. I was miserable, miserable, um, making a million dollars and people always say, but how can you be so, and I use it over there so many times because Japan associates fame and fortune with happiness. And when I open up with people and tell them, you know, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of just, you know, being done with it all and walking away from it. It wasn't until God changed me that day and I opened up the Bible and actually started to read it, um, came alive and was real to me. Before I thought it was just this, yes, I believe the Bible. I believe that God was real. I believe that Jesus came just because the way I grew up, but I didn't know why I needed a savior. I couldn't be good enough. I tried even in 2000. In six, I was in AAA in Nashville and a teammate of mine, Vinny Rotino, who was a Catholic, we would go to we would go to Wednesday service 
And then I would go to there. I'd feel so good. And then Thursday, Friday night, I'd be out. Saturday night out. And this was when I was a starter. So I had four days to just do whatever I wanted. And I never truly grasped that I am a sinner that is going to have the wrath of God poured out on me unless I have his son as my savior. And it wasn't until 2011 um, that God opened my heart and opened my eyes. What does Hebrews say? The word of God is living and active and sharper active. than any two-edged sword. sword. Amen. But, but it, it doesn't have any of those qualities if you don't actually open the book and get into it. Nope, it doesn't. And when, you know, I'm not going to badmouth all players. I, I had a chance to play with a guy named Andy Mitchell, who was with the Orioles his whole career, pitched in AAA, I think, for eight years. The guy was an amazing friend, teammate, but most of all, he was consistent. He, he wasn't the guy that came to chapel with me and then did the things I was doing. He was the guy that went to chapel and then would talk to me and be like, hey, let's go grab a beer and let's go talk about, you know, and he'd always have some kind of wisdom and that resonated. So even now when I say like, Andy, you were a part of this whole thing. Uh, you were a part of opening, you know, the door path that God used you early to show some consistency with Christians living a Christian life, right? It's a lot of the ones that touch home plate and give themselves to cross and, and, you know, come off the mound and fist pumping the God. But when you're behind the, the clubhouse doors and you're off the camera, I want to see how you live. And he was the one that was the most consistent. What was the dynamic in a Japanese clubhouse like compared to a major league baseball clubhouse? Because you talked about maybe 15 guys who were doing the, the same thing you were doing. What, what was the dynamic? How much different was it inside a clubhouse in Japanese baseball? Uh, total, the dynamic totally changes. All right, you go there and it is all business. You're there to work. It's your job. You wouldn't know who, who was the highest paid player in the clubhouse, nor would they tell you. It was a very, I mean, you can go into our, our players parking lot and we, there's, it's the best. If you want to look at material wealth, like things that people own in Japan, I had some of the best parking lots than I ever planned when I was in the big leagues. He's all around and, but you wouldn't know it would be the shortstop that you thought was making a hundred thousand had a Ferrari in the parking lot, you know, and, and it was very quiet, but they were there to work. They were your teammate. And if you weren't bought into the system to, to win, they, they would run you out. I remember it, my first year I had 35 saves and it wasn't until August of that season. And I had like a one, a low one ERA. It wasn't until August that season that teammates finally, they asked me, oh, Denny-san, next year, they, they thought I was going to come, have a good year, and then head back. They said, Denny-san, you come back to Japan next year? I said, oh, yeah, I'll be back. And after that, it was like, okay, we got him. Let's take him to dinner. And it was like they wanted to see if I bought in or if I was just using Japan as, uh, as this cheap prostitute, you know, like, oh, I'm going to come here, make some money, and then head back. Once they knew that I was for real, like, I loved it there and I was going to stay they, 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 they accepted me. And, and, and so many former big league players, I think, have done just exactly what you're talking about. My, my first real exposure to what Japanese baseball was like was reading Warren Cromarty's book about, yeah. about 20 years ago. And, and yeah. he, he was very open about the challenges he faced being 
uh, a foreigner playing in the Japanese professional leagues and, and how long it took him to gain acceptance. And, and he was there for, if I remember correctly, seven or eight years and became a Japanese yeah. legend finally. Yeah. But it yeah. was not an easy road for him to get there. And it sounds like you experienced kind of the same thing. Yeah, I, I will say this. The era that he went to Japan, there was not much. If you were on the verge of breaking a record, there was zero chance you were going to break that record. Right. Um, they have changed and shifted. And I think a lot of it has to do with Ichiro coming over, uh, Dice K coming over, uh, Matsuza, or, um, Godzilla with the Yankees, Hideki Matsui. Mm -hmm. Those guys coming over and being accepted as legends and heroes. And you know, Ichiro is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, in my eyes, if he isn't, then there's some kind of nonsense going on. Right. But uh, you slowly start to see it. So mine lasted a few months. His lasted a couple years. Um, it doesn't go on anymore. When I was about to break the save single season save record from two guys who I, I, I respect, Fujikawa, who actually pitched over here in the States with the Cubs and I believe the Angels, um, he was the first person to come up to me that year. I saw him and I, I had a lot of saves already. And we were in interleague and he came up to me and said, beat the record. And, and I did, but that was just a, such a, a, a loving gesture to come over to me. And I had known him for years. We've always talked about things mm -hmm. and uh, for him to accept me and say, you know what, this is not about you're an American. I'm a Japanese. You're playing. No, this is, we're playing baseball. If you break a record, you break a record. You and Warren Cromarty did have one very, um, very strong common denominator in your careers, even though they were a generation apart, and that's a guy named Sadahara O. Yeah, Sadahara O, man. Mr. O, what a blessing. He, what a generous, loving person. Uh, when, he, when I got signed to the Hawks in 2014, I spent two years in Hiroshima, one year in Cebu. Had a good year, but my stuff was dwindling. You know, it, it was starting to decline a little bit. I had a double surgery and I got over there and right away he took me to dinner we talked um showed me respect and he's a limit this is like the Babe Ruth of the Japanese league mm -hmm. you know to where four or five years later as we're winning championships this guy's hugging me and 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 grasping me so uh he's an amazing man a lot of people don't know this but he's not a Japanese native he's actually from Taiwan um and he is just so loved by that country, my team, he's the president of our team. And so I got to spend a lot of time with Sadahara O. And uh, he is as great as a player he was. He's even a better man off the field. Dennis Sarfate joining us here on episode nine of the Dan Scott Show podcast. Talking baseball, talking Jesus. And in a, a little bit, we're going to be talking uh, about his efforts to uh, eradicate abortion uh, in this co uh, country and preserve the sanctity of human life. I want to get back to a little bit of your testimony uh, because you said it was uh, towards the end of 2011 that you finally came to the realization that you needed Christ as your Savior. Do you find any irony that he takes you out of, talking about Jesus now, takes you out of a quote-unquote Christian nation, and I know that's debatable right now, but in, in, <laughs> in, 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 in reputation takes you out of a Christian nation where there's a church on every corner basically here in the United States, and takes you to a country where less than 1% of the population professes to be Christian, and that's mm -hmm. where you found Christ. Yeah, I, uh, 
I look about it and I even, I even go a step back. And so when we talk about what I'm doing now, I'll tell you how the whole story plays out and God's playbook is so much better than ours. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when I got saved in 2011, the next year I had the worst year of my life. Uh, I got hurt, lost my closers role after setting the first year rookies, uh, save record. Um, my wife got extremely ill. I had to fly her back home. I thought my career was over after 2012, 2013, I get a second chance in, in Tokyo with the Cebu lions and I'm alone on a team with no other believers and uh, in this city far out of Tokyo, just isolated. I was miserable. And I was like, God, why are you doing this to me? So I started the backslide getting drunk every night, going out, just trying to find some kind of peace. My wife wouldn't come to Tokyo because she was pregnant and we were closer to Fukushima. And so she was so worried about the nuclear stuff that had happened in 2011 that she's like, I'm not coming there pregnant. So I saw my family, my wife and my two girls um, for a total of like 10 days that year, that season. She comes to visit me, finds some receipts of me going out and spending outlandish amounts of money at bars and clubs and confronts me. I just tell her, look, I am broken. I don't know what to do. Go home that season. I'm like, this is it. I'm done with baseball. And then I get a call from the SoftBank Hawks and another teammate that just signed there from the Tigers, Jason Standridge, who's a solid believer, uh, just takes me under his wing and brings me to my first missions trip to Haiti, holds me accountable. And it was like almost like God just – showing me like, all right, you struggle, but here you are. I'm going to give you a man who's going to help you through this. And he was with me for three years there and then moved on. And then I just felt like I was so strong faith wise that it just, that was the boost I needed. And it was amazing how God used this country first off to bring me to, to take away all of this other outside noise. Let me focus on him again. Show me my sin uh, after I'm saved. And, and it's not like this, God, why are you doing this to me to the next year showing me, okay, Here's why you're here. And it's not about baseball. It's about going and sharing the gospel of Jesus. And so that's what we started doing. We started going to schools and small churches in the, in the, in the hillside and the countryside of Japan. And all because Jason said, hey, I'm taking you with me. And he started it. And then I kept it going once he left. Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, Jason Standridge, so I'm, I'm glad that, that you went ahead and got into that part of the story. And, and what's interesting about this as as the sanctification process begins to take hold, and we know it's an ongoing process, we never arrive until we actually arrive, but it's an ongoing process, and, and, and you're getting yourself moving back in the right direction and, and becoming stronger and more intentional about things. All of a sudden, you're kind of an unintentional evangelist in this yeah. country that is less than 1% Christian, and you're being offered opportunities to speak to people in schools and other places that virtually nobody ever gets the chance to do. And you can openly share your faith that, that, that had to be just amazing. Yeah. And it's actually one step further. So 14, I have a really good year. I, I saved 37 games, uh, 15, we start going in spring training, speaking at places. I break the single season save record. Um, the first time for the Pacific league for the league I was in, that 16 comes around, I break my own record again, I get 43 saves, and now 
the first few schools were like, don't talk about God, don't talk about anything. And so I would be like, all right, well, let's talk about the fruits of the spirit. And they're like, what's that? I was like, just being joyful and peaceful, you know, kind, loving. Oh yeah, you can talk about that. By the time 2016 comes around, I would go to a school and they'd be like, talk about whatever you want. And so I would be like, like anything, anything. So first I would open up with, you know, a thousand students there, the whole school's in the auditorium. And through my interpreter, Pastor Paul Yakota, who was my, my interpreter, but also a, a, a really good friend there in Fukuoka, I would say, who knows Jesus Christ in here? And not one of those kids would hold up their hand. And so then there I go. I would just share the gospel of who I was, why I needed a savior and would move forward. And I got the chance to do that in 2017, also in 2018, before I got my hip surgery and then was able to do it again when God allowed me to go back there in 19, the rehab. Um, and in 2020, even during a, a pandemic, I was able to have some charity things and go out and do stuff. So God was so gracious uh, to me to give me that opportunity. Uh, I could tell you how a 37 year old after winning the MVP of the 2017 season and the, and the Japan series MVP got a three-year extension when he had 2018 covered already. Uh, it was just an only by God's grace that I was able to get that. Dennis, uh, Sarf Sarfate joining us here on the Dan Scott show podcast, episode nine. And, and it's again, interesting how, how God works because he, he's bringing you through uh, all of these different experiences in your life and, and, and things start to roll for you. And as you mentioned, 15, 16, and 17, you're getting all of these wonderful opportunities. And then 2017 rolls around and I don't want to say the bottom drops out, but all of a sudden things get difficult again because of circumstances with your wife and, and, and here, the way I look at it from what I've seen, here's God saying, okay, I'm going to test you to see, to see if, if your faith, is as real as you think it is. Yeah. 2017. When I would tell people in 2018, what 17 was like, they were just thinking they were going to hear this, this glorious story of just amazing uh, success. And, and really I almost retired five times. I remember in early 2017, my wife was hospitalized. I flew back home. We did some stem cell treatments in, in California the team allowed me to leave for 10 days. I was already off to a hot start. They allowed me to leave. They were just, they were really concerned about my wife. That's how this team was. The Hawks were such a, a loving organization, took care of me so well and my family. They allowed me to leave for 10 days and my teammates say, don't worry, we'll hold down the fort. They didn't need me at all. They blew out every, every win was more than five or six runs and they only lost one game in those 10 games. So I come back, you know, just feeling relieved my wife was back home she was doing a little bit better but I wasn't going to see them and, and then you know her up and down with her health through the next few months was agony I, I remember going to the field one time and my interpreter Taka said hey you got an interview today and I had I had shared in interviews why God had me there it was to share the gospel and so the first question I'm, I'm walking in that day to tell my manager I'm done I'm going home that's it in the middle of a season that I'm leading every possible category and early on favorites to break the record of the single season Japan record. And I, I get this interview. The first question is last year, you, uh, you had, you said that God had you here for a reason. Do you still feel that way? And I was just like, <laughs> I start crying 
And I'm just like, that's really the first question you're going to, in my mind, I'm thinking like, how do you, God, how do you do this to me right now? So I'm crying and they're looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> I, I tell my interpreter after, you know, he starts welling up with tears. Um, and then it happens again later on. Uh, FCA sends me a shirt, Joshua 1-9. Uh, I'm, I'm going in to quit again in my locker. I just grab a shirt. I put it on. I look in the mirror and I see the verse and I know what the verse is. And right away I start crying. My teammate sitting next to me, Japanese Uito Mori is looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? So I had this roller coaster of emotions of just wanting to quit. And then God brought my wife and girls out to me for two months for August and September. And then we ended up winning the whole thing. I went home and, and that was that. What, what, what do you think God was trying to show you in that season? to trust him that he is, that he is faithful. I I've been reading with my girls with Noah and the covenant promises that God has made us. And God is always faithful. God makes a promise. He doesn't break it. And he was saying, if you just trust in me, that I am in control, that I am sovereign over this, just do your work, do what your work is there. And your wife will be okay. Your kids will be okay. And, um, and he was, and it was a blessing. Her parents came and we moved them close to her so she could, have them to help. And, uh, the funniest thing at all of this, after the 17th season, after all the success, I begged the team to host me to come back. I figured the only chance I had left to keep playing was to get back to the States. That way I could be closer to Jada. She could be closer to good doctors, the doctors that she needed to be by. And they refused three times. They refused our offer to post me. They were going to pay me a lot of money in 2018 because it was the last year of my, my last three-year deal. And they said, no, not only are we going to make you stay, but we'll give you a three-year extension. And I was like, no, 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 I don't. I'm not using my leverage as an MVP to, to get more money. I don't want your money. I really just want to go home for my wife. They're like, no, we understand. We can't let you go. But here, take, take a three-year extension. So after praying, we just said, you know what? Is God wanting us to stay here? Is this us being faithful? If we just abandon and go home, it's like, and I've been home ever since. And not even that I was home in 19, we went to Japan together as a family and we came home early because there was nothing. My hip just wasn't responding. And then in 20, I went there for a little bit and then I needed full replacement. I was done. And it's like, God, you got me three years extension and I didn't pitch one inning of that contract. And I've been home with my family. And that was my biggest concern. So the whole the whole story it just it blows me away of God's faithfulness. As I was taking some notes and uh, watching those earlier interviews in preparation for this, and listening to to you talk in those interviews about locker room dynamics and and all of these things that that you have have touched on here so far, I, I couldn't help but think about John three thirty. And it, se- it seems like that has been a, a big, big verse in your life. He must increase, I must decrease. Yeah, I always tell, I always, you know, before I would get onto the mound, I would always say a prayer. I would get on my knee and, and pray. And so I'd have fans ask me, you know, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, I use Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield in him, my heart trust. But I said, it's not about me out there. I hope that you guys don't see me and you see God and his favor and his abilities that he's poured out in me, that whether I fail or succeed, it is not about me. I I was the best at losing. I would blow a game and I would come in the clubhouse 
and the guys would be waiting for this blow up. And I would just sit in my locker quietly, give myself about five or 10 minutes. And then I would get up and be like, all right, guys, I'll see you tomorrow. And they would just be like, what, what is wrong with this guy? But I, it was never about me. I just, I just feel like if we make it about ourselves, we're missing the whole point. Didn't I hear in, in one of the interviews that Psalm 28-7 became such a a part of who you are when you signed autographs or whatever that, that people actually started wearing shirts at yeah. Japanese baseball games that had Psalm 28-7 yeah. on it? It, it, was, it was like a gospel bomb. It was I would sign it, and then people were putting my jersey. They would have my signature embroidered on there with Psalm 28-7. So I'm guaranteeing that. People are just going around with what's this PSALM 287. They look it up. <laughs> Best thing ever is uh, there's a guy named Mar Pementat. He lives in Buffalo and uh, Cy Ten Brugencake, who is a, a min, uh, just a ministry worker that travels all over from Canada, lives in the States now. They set up a website for me, dennissarfate.com. And you can go on there and see uh, things, speaking engagements that I was going to do in Japan. But if you hit a a link, it would go to a Japanese version of the Bible. And so they were able to like go on. And so I would hand out baseball cards. I wonder if I had any, I would hand out a baseball card with my picture on it. And on the back was the gospel in Japanese. And then on the bottom, it was the website. So we were just handing these out. And I can't tell you how many times where God would use that as like this gospel bomb. Like I would take cards to the park and I would just be handing them out. Cause they'd be like, Oh, Denny's son, you know, Walking around Fukuoka, I stand out. I'm 6'4". I have a beard. They know who I am. And I would just hand out these gospel bombs to everyone. And God just used it. It was amazing. Did you run into resistance with, with the never. openness of your faith? Never. Never. That's, that's I amazing. Had, I, had, I had some hardcore feminists attack me on Twitter and call my team and ask the team, Americans, to fire me because I made a comment about the, the women's world cup versus the man's world cup. And I said, it's a, a matter of economics. Men's world cup brings in more viewers. They make more money. And, and per, per viewing the women actually made a higher cut. And so I made this comment to Megan Rapino, And I said, if you don't like the U S and it's so awful, maybe you should leave. And I got attacked and I'll tell you what, my owner, my owner, my, my GM, said, this guy is a man of honor and integrity. We stand by what he said. And I was blown away. I thought I was going to have to go apologize, get fined or whatever. They were, they knew who I was and they let me roll with it. Had, had you done that in this country, you probably would have had to oh, do all of the above. Uh, you know, you know, Mark Dewey, right? You'd heard of the name Mark Dewey. I think so. Pitched for the Giants mm -hmm. in the 90s. Yeah. So he, he's a brother. He, he has a ministry and his story if you can he has a podcast as well if you go on there and listen to his story and how the giants and what happened to him in the in the mid 90s you'll you'll see and that was in the 90s now you fast forward to 2021 or 2022 you would not be able to get away with that and, and yet god kept a hedge of protection around you uh for that entire chapter of your life and your career to give you that platform and give you the opportunity to, to to be that, I guess at the beginning, as I said, the unintentional evangelist, and then obviously there was a lot more intentionality about it as you went on. We're visiting with Dennis Sarfate, former big league pitcher, Japanese uh, legend, the king of closer. How'd that nickname come about? They're really big on nicknames in Japanese baseball, aren't they? 
They are, they are big of, I don't know why that nickname came about. I for sure never once said it. Um, they just always want to like, uh, King of home run. They always want to put something with it. And, uh, someone came up with it in my team front office and they, I walked out to the game in 2016 and as they played on the jumbotron, it said King of clothes. And I was like, what is going on? I had no idea they were going to do this. And so I kind of moved past it. Um, but yeah, then it just stuck. So now even to this day, they're like, Oh, King of closer. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness. Do, do you see any time in, in your life where you, you go back there for, for any extended period of time, or is that chapter closed? I can't imagine being there a decade and having all of the, the experiences that you had both baseball and through what Jesus did in your life that, that you can just completely turn your back on, on that country. No, I, I've made too many friends there and have too many relationships. Uh, the team wanted to bring me back back for a ceremony they postponed it because you can't get a you can't get into the country right now without a, a quarantine of two weeks and actually i don't even know if foreigners can even get in at all um i will do something with the team i've even asked you know talked to them about being some kind of assistant to bringing guys over and just being a um a voice that can a- answer any questions like tyler chatwood just signed with my team and i've already reached out to him if he had any questions or concerns to pick my brain. He can call me. Uh, just want to be, you know, an, an advocate for the, for the team, but also for these guys that are going over there. If you're going over there to make money and stay there a year, you're going to come back. You're going to come back missing an unbelievable opportunity. And the guys that go over there with the swagger of I'm a big leaguer and they have, you know, 10 years of experience and they go over there with that swagger you're going to get run out of that country as well. You got to go over there humble and just accept the things. You're not going to change it. You're not going to change the way they play. You're not going to change the way they think. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then do yourself a favor and don't sign. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back. I definitely want to be a part of that and go back there and visit the churches that I would go speak at. And I still talk to some of the pastors that are there. Um, It's too big of a place in my heart to not, not go back and to spend more time yeah, that, that's that's great to hear. Uh, I, I have long one. I'm 54 years old. I'll be 55 in April. One of my bucket list items is to actually see a Japanese professional baseball game in 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 Japan. Of course, I'll have to get over my fear of flying to to do that one day. But that, something I've I've always wondered, and, and I've done some internet research and not been able to find an answer. Do they do English language broadcasts of the Japanese professional games over there? You know, I think sometimes you'll get it on Fox. Uh, you can see some games here in the middle of the night on on. Whatever but but I mean, but I mean, in in Japan itself, are there any English language broadcasts of the games? No, no, no. they'll say some words like uh, the announcer in uh, Nippon Ham will be like, "It is gone," and he'll <laughs> for home runs. But uh, that's about it. Everyone else, it's it's a hundred percent Japanese. Yeah. I, I often wondered about that because I, I, I know it, 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 there's an international flavor to it and, and, and some English-speaking folks over there. I just wondered if maybe there was even, even a, you know, a, a minority-style broadcast that was done specifically for English-speaking folks. Visiting with uh, Dennis Sarfate, who uh, is 
now a retired baseball player. And by the way, was that hard for you to to make that move? Or did the injury make it easy? Having your hip replaced made it easy. I tried. Once my wife got pregnant, there was no chance that I was going to try to leave and go back. Uh, I thought about it before she got pregnant. Like, I could probably play again. I feel great. I work out every day. Um, But it was time. I think God had me ready for something else. And uh, it was easy to know that it was the injury that caused it. It stunk because I had, I feel like I had a lot left in the tank. I mean, I was getting better and better each year. Um, And my velocity was the highest it has been. You know, I was throwing, I was 37. I was still pumping 97, 98 consistently. And so I felt good. My arm didn't hurt, but I'm a family guy. I hated leaving a treacherous thing for me to say goodbye to my wife and girls when I would go to spring training there without them. And I would cry all the way to the airport. So being home now and knowing that I don't have to leave. No, I've, I've enjoyed it and it's been pretty easy. So many athletes, when their careers are over, they have a, a difficult time finding something to replace that that adrenaline rush replace that that void that's now in their lives uh, you, you have chosen a very unique way to uh, to move on and and make the next chapter you have become a very very uh, outspoken opponent of the atrocity that is abortion in this country and, and um, have been unapologetic about it uh, how did how did that come about for you sure all right well it goes back to to 1982 you know there was in 1982 a a woman and a man were at a truck stop conceived a baby and then instead of choosing in that situation to to murder that child they gave it up to adopt for adoption uh the parents that adopted that child were not christians they just needed uh, a baby they couldn't have a baby of their own they adopted this little girl she gets to high school, gets saved. Her parents get saved through her getting saved. The dad becomes a pastor. And then I get saved. And that's my wife. And I, I get choked up, you know, always talking about it because if that mom would have chose a different path, I don't have my wife. I don't have my girls. And it's like, we are, we are killing babies like we're hitmen. 66 million since Roe v. Wade. And it, it's just an abomination. It's, it's something that needed to be stopped. And so when, you know, if you look at it, I'm able to share the gospel in, in Japan, all because in 1982, one woman was bold and brave enough to hold that baby and to give it up to adoption. And God used that little girl through so much to where now the Japanese are hearing the gospel. Like, how can you not hear that story and be like, how many of those stories could be different? How many babies were killed that could have been the next person to, to cure AIDS or to do whatever it may be? We are not allowed to play judge and advocate. We cannot play judge and jury and play God and say, you can kill that baby, but not this baby. Like, how, how can we be in Nazi Germany and be okay with saying, oh, you can kill these Jews over here, but not those Jews over there? No, that, that's an abomination. That's that's terrible and yet we do it all the time with the preborn. we say it's not a human no even the pro-choice doctors say it's a human being like there's no doubt about it it's a life of conception there's no doubt about it 
It's just to the point now where we feel like we can just say we can kill that human being. And that is an evil. That's an evil that needs to be righted. It's just something that never should have happened. It's not law. And I think that's the first thing that people understand that the Supreme Court does not make law. Congress passes law. Biden's been saying it the whole time, and every Democratic president has said it ever since Roe v. Wade. We need to codify it. What does codify mean? Put it into law. Right now, it is a court opinion that we follow as law, and it's the biggest misconception that there is. Most states have abortion bills in their in their legislation already that already it's already law. Like in Arizona, it's illegal to kill your baby, but we go ahead and people drive to the mill. Thirty-five hundred babies are killed every day across this country at places where we pay money to do it. And then tax dollars are funding it. It's, it's an evil that needs to be ended. And yet, as, as a Christian, that's the only stance you can have. There, 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 there is no wiggle room. But we are also charged through the words and the example of Jesus Christ to hate sin but love the sinner and, and, and to handle all of these things in a loving way. And, and as I was preparing to do this interview before I, I, I listened to a couple of other things that you had done, I, I wondered where, where that aspect of it was going to go. And then I heard about how your church is approaching these things. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's just a marvelous, marvelous example of taking this, this hot-button issue and, and handling it in a way that still glorifies Christ. I mean, this is not the, the abortion clinic bombers of the 1980s and 1990s claiming to be Christians from what I've seen. And yeah. I could be I could be fooled, but from what well, I from what I've seen, this is a wonderful, beautiful example of handling this in a way that glorifies Christ. Yeah, we would condemn that. There's no we we actually say that we go to the the abortion mill to die. Now, when we say that, we mean that if we go there and we get shot or we get killed from people that are angry, then so be it. God has us there for a reason. But what is being the message at the mill when we go there is the gospel that even as they are pulling in, we're saying, don't kill your baby. We have a lawyer on standby that'll fill out the adoption papers. Your bills will be paid. You will have a place to stay. We'll take care of all your needs. Don't kill the baby. That's one side of it. The other side is that there's someone always sharing the gospel constantly. God's word is being poured out. And even when the moms go through with it and come out, we are still sharing the gospel because that woman needs hope. She needs to know that there is a savior that took away all of her sins, even the one that she just committed. And so we've had thousands of babies saved from our church alone. We've actually are now across 800 churches across the United States, even in Ireland in New Zealand and in Australia that go out to the mill on a normal basis. There's a guy named Scott Ford in Nashville, Tennessee, that has saved close to 400 babies on his own, just going out there every day, talking with mothers and, and just sharing the gospel where he'll, those moms will come back with their babies the next, when they're born and stand out there with them and hold signs. This is a gospel centered mission. This is not the condemnation yelling and screaming and, and spewing hate towards these people. They need a, they need a hope. They need something that can take away their sins and, and save them. And we're, we're, we're telling them what it is. And that's how we run it. We don't, we don't believe in the, uh, handcuffing yourself to the door or bombing those things. Uh, that that's an evil. You don't correct evil with evil. 
And so that's, that's how we run our program. You are not allowed to sign up with End Abortion Now if it is not backed by your church. There has to be accountability from your pastor. Um, we vet everyone. We make them record. Everyone has to have a uh, camera on them because we've had guns pulled on us. We just had a court case here in Arizona that just finished. There's an abortionist who pulled a gun on one of our guys sharing the gospel out there. And not only that, the, the sick, twisted part of it, that guy who kills babies, the abortionist, also delivers babies other parts of the week. So um, it's just a sick and demented and twisted uh, area of where we pay people to kill babies. And um, the message of the gospel has to penetrate that. Because if it ain't the gospel, nothing's going to save it. Nothing's going to stop it. The gospel is what stops it. And for all of the freedom, for lack of a better term, that you had sharing the gospel in, in Japan, in, in a, a country, again, that's less than 1% Christian, and you ran into no opposition there, again, I'm big on irony here in this country, where, again, there are churches on every corner, um, the, the, the blowback that you and your organization are getting has to be massive. Oh, boy. The blowback we get... And I'll tell you who we get the most from is the pro-life establishment. It's the, the Arizona right to life and these politicians that call themselves pro-life and they put through bills. We had a bill of abolition that ended it in Arizona last year. We got fought by the Center for Arizona Policy, Kathy Herod, president, who calls herself pro-life, but she told people to vote our, to kill our bill and to vote for hers, which her bill was, you can't kill a baby with Down syndrome. But it didn't have to come that because the mom could just be like, I don't want to kill the baby for Down syndrome. I just don't want the baby. And then you could kill it. Two, you had to have a proper burial for the baby after you killed it. And three, which was the most evil of it, it repealed pre-Roe v. Wade law, which was SB 13-3604. Uh, and what that does now, even if, if, even if the court overturned Roe v. Wade, it would be legal in Arizona to kill your baby. These people are getting paid to do this. They're being paid. They're taking money from pro-life organizations, from pro-life people in their, in their districts, around their state, and they're, and they're not doing nothing to end it. I am not getting paid. I refuse to get paid. All the money that we raise gets put into putting bills in and getting legislators on board, um, and it's working. We have 15 bills going in this year across this country, and I have state reps calling me all the time. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to fight. And... That's what it's going to take. It's going to take Christian men and women standing up and saying, that's enough. This is enough. We've killed enough babies. We have to end this. Dennis Sarfate joining us here on the Dan Scott Show podcast. This is episode nine and the first one of 2022. As we get into wrap-up mode here, Dennis, and again, I can't thank you enough for, for spending the, the amount of time you have with us, especially on, on such short notice. Um. One of the, the things that has been put on my heart, um, and, and maybe someday I'll get to share my testimony with you, because I was a preacher's kid. I, I had the opposite raising you did. I, my dad is still a pastor, and and the best man that I've ever known, just a true warrior for Christ. And uh, I was 45 years old before I came to Christ, so I, I, feel, I feel like I've got a, a lot of, of time that I need to make up for. And so every chance I get, uh, I, I, I speak to churches, I, I share my testimony, I'm getting more and more uh, of this type of thing that, that I'm doing to try and, and, and get the message out as much as I can. 
saying all that to say this in, in March, I'm, I've been asked to speak at a men's leadership conference at a church here in, in the upstate of South Carolina, where I live. And, and as I was preparing for the interview, I thought, well, Dennis is, is not going to be there. But if you were there, what would your core message be to the Christian men? And there are going to be a bunch of them who are going to be gathered in that church for four hours listening to a variety of speakers on that Saturday morning. What would your core message be to Christian men? First, I would say, let's go back to the, let's go back to the Puritans. Let's go back to the black robe regimen, the days of men leading their families in family worship, the men that would later fight the same tyrannical king and not not let his family. I mean, there were if you go back to Scotland, there were men being decapitated in front of their families for saying that Christ is king and not King Charles mm-hmm. or King George. And it's we have gone so far. I mean, we have men that have families that are claiming Christ, playing video games all night long as their kids are doing whatever, their wife's doing this. We have to have men be men, get family worship back together. Stop putting your duty onto someone else, whether it be Sunday school or wherever else, it is your responsibility. You are going to be held accountable before God for how your children turn out and how your wife is. And that is God, that has to scare some men. So that's number one. Number two, fight, get ready to fight. Not, not fisticuffs. I'm not talking about going pick fights with people. I'm saying stand up with Christ-like integrity for things that are important, things that make you lose friends on Facebook, that might make you feel uncomfortable doing it, share the gospel with your neighbor, reach out to everyone that you should be spewing. First Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a reason defense for what you believe. The, there, there should not be any time where you pass, and I'm guilty of this myself. I've had neighbors that are Hindu that I walk by and, you know, yes, I just wanted to share it, but I, I missed an opportunity. We have to be men and start fighting abortion. Speak up in your church. You, I can't tell you how many churches, literally, when we call them, hey, we're going to be in your state hosting a rally at the Capitol to end abortion. Would you join us? Where we get blasted by pastors saying, you're doing this wrong. You should never do this. It's a woman's choice. And, and it's just like standing before God, you, you have such a tremendous honor and burden to lead your flock. And you are going to answer to God. And some of those people that men there, if they're ministers of their church, then they better repent and get on board and, and start leading them in the word and God's word. Open up your Bible and start reading what God's word says. I, I will tell you this. Uh, I like to brag on my church every opportunity I get because we have a, a, a pastor who preaches the word, shares the gospel, uh, and, and believes that the Bible is the inerrant work, uh, word of God. This is, san- this is Sanctity of Life Month. Yeah. And sometime this month, there will be 3,700 pink and blue flags adorning the hillside of our church with a big banner as our church and several others in this area do similar things to shed light on this topic of abortion yeah. and, and, pray, and praying for these young women. Our church invests in, in a, a pregnancy care center here in our community, and uh, it... it it's just amazing, and, and and you talked about it a moment ago. If if you will take the time to invest and do it in a Christ-like manner, mm-hmm. you're not you're not going to get everyone to change their mind, but you're going to get some. 
and and mm-hmm. and you can't get caught up in numbers. You just have to do what God tells you to do. Be faithful. Yep, one baby at a time. If if you go out there, I mean, we 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 praise God and we thank God for one baby saved on a day here at the Planned Parenthood in Tempe by ASU. We praise God for it. The sad reality is, out of that one baby saved, twenty something more were killed. Mm-hmm. And so, is it hard to do this ministry? Yes, it's hard. But if you just are faithful and do what God has commanded you to do, share the gospel, speak truth. And like Isaiah one, it says, stop those stumbling to the slaughter that, that those people are stumbling to the slaughter. They are going to murder their baby. That is an ultimate sin and it needs to be accounted for. And many to stand up. We're, we're actually working in South Carolina. We have a rep, Jonathan Hill, uh, who is a man of God, a faithful man of God. We put a bill. He defunded Planned Parenthood two years in a row there. And it'll be, it's still in session right now where there, the legislation we have is to abolish it. We did a, a rally at the Columbia uh, State House last year, and we will be there again in May. So if your church wants to join us there, we will be there. I, I will make sure that our pastor knows about it because I know this is something that's very close to his heart. Dennis, your baseball career Maybe over, but it's obvious you still haven't lost your fastball. You're just using no. you're just using it in another another direction that God's leading you. Sure thing, absolutely. And I know what baseball was just a miss, and it happened so fast. I look back, 21 years gone, but I am so excited for what God. What a time to be alive! And I'll steal something from uh, one of my favorite pastors, Paul Washer. I get to wake up every day and slay dragons. That's what I tell my girls, and I will. I will keep slaying as long as God gives me that sword. That's outstanding. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. All right. That is uh, Dennis Sarfate. We will be back to put a wrap on Episode 9 of the Dan Scott Show podcast in just a moment. Sometimes in life, you simply need to treat yourself to the best. And every time you lift a refreshing soda from Hank's Beverages to your lips, you're simply already a winner. It doesn't matter if it's a root beer, orange cream, vanilla cream, black cherry, or grape soda. There's a reason Hank's Beverages has been known as Philly's best for well more than a decade. Find Hank's online at hanksbeverages.net, or you can find their product here in the upstate at Ingalls Supermarkets, Lowe's Grocery Stores, and Harris Teeter. You might know that State Farm agent Ed Patterson has great service. He's your good neighbor after all. But did you know State Farm has surprisingly great rates too? Yep, that's right. Along with good neighbor service, State Farm agent Ed Patterson has surprisingly great rates for everyone in Greenville. So call State Farm agent Ed Patterson at 864-322-0031 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Individual premiums will vary by customer. All applicants subject to State Farm underwriting requirements. Is your roof leaking or damaged? Do your gutters need repaired? You can Google roofing companies until your computer overheats, or you can simply call the best, Bracken Roofing and Gutter. Whether it's roof replacement, new and remodel installation, roofing insurance claims, whatever your needs, Bracken Roofing and Gutter will simply do it right the first time. And the same goes for gutter screen installations. Forget about balancing on ladders and cleaning your gutters. Let Bracken Roofing and Gutters screen them for you today. Listen, do not settle for subpar work. Get a free inspection today. Check out their reviews on Facebook. You'll see many satisfied customers, and they're all saying the same thing, that they're happy that they chose Bracken Roofing and Gutter. 
That's Bracken Roofing and Gutter. Call Kyle today at 864-704-5993. Every sports fan's goal should be make it to the Hall of Fame. Well, we have you covered with Hall of Fame Sports Grill at 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Known for their great food and fantastic daily specials, Hall of Fame has you covered with all the game action on their 30 televisions. Plus weekly events like Tuesday night's Bar Trivia for Dummies, Wednesday night's Music Bingo, Thursday night's Dirty Bingo, and Karaoke with Fred Rock every Friday. That's 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard, HalloFameSportsGrill.com. Treat yourself to one of the fastest growing, most entertaining activities in the upstate with a visit to Craft Axe Throwing. From casual axe throwing to the World Axe Throwing League, Kraft has it all right here in Greenville. Get in-house safety instruction, then claim a lane and start throwing today. League nights available for those who love to compete. Kraft Axe Throwing, 1320 Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Call 864-301-6032 or visit craftaxethrowing.com. Sometimes cleaning up the neighborhood begins at home. When it does, call on Shane's Powerhouse Washing. Shane's is a family-owned business which prides itself on being on time and doing the job right the first time. Residential or commercial, home, business, driveway, parking lot, decks, fences, even dumpster pads. If it needs cleaning, Shane's Powerhouse Washing will get it done. Also, ask about the handyman services available. Call today, 864-760-9184 or check out the website, www.shanespowerhousewashing.com. What an incredible interview. And I can promise you it's not because of anything I had to do with it, but uh, Dennis Sarfate bringing the heat. Former big leaguer, Japanese legend, and now an advocate for the unborn. Just an, an incredible story of what God has done in this guy's life and just praying that he will continue to do so. And look, we know that abortion in this country is such a hot-button issue, like everything else seemingly. It's been politicized, but this is one that, as a Christian, should be at the top of our list. But I, I think what happens, whether it's abortion or whether it's any of the other political issues that are out there, we as Christians many times lose our testimony because of how we react, how we interact with people who have the opposite viewpoint of us. And it does not bring glory to Jesus Christ when we act and or react that way. Now, listen, I am not going to sit here and tell you that it's easy to hold your tongue and to always react in a Christ-like manner. It is not. There's no question about it. But if you listen to what Dennis had to say, and the way his church and organization goes about dealing with abortion as an issue, and more importantly with the human beings, with the mothers-to-be who are going and either considering or going through with having these abortions, the, the love in which they are doing it, the, the sharing of the gospel that's involved, and, and, and none of the condemnation, none of the things that that people point to and say, yeah, that's why I don't want anything to do with Jesus because of those hypocrites there. Do you have to get tough? Yes. Do you have to be strong? Yes. Do you have to fight? Yes. 
but there are ways to do it. And again, I'll be honest, as I told Dennis at the end of the interview, as I began to see some things on the Twitter feed and, and some of the other things, I wondered how that part of his story was going to go. And then I did my research. I listened to some interviews, and, and I discovered how he and his church are lovingly attacking this issue and the success they're having because of that. And it's just an incredible lesson for all of us to learn. And as I said, again, Ray Longnecker, easy preaching, hard living. I understand that. But if we will surrender all of that stuff to Christ and let him lead, man, what an impact we can make. What an impact Dennis Sarfate and his church and his organization are making, not only in Arizona, but all across the country. When they come to South Carolina in the month of May, I cannot wait to get together with this guy. This has been episode 10, uh, excuse me, episode 9 of the Dan Scott Show podcast. I slip up there because I'm going to tell you about episode 10 next week. We're going to stay on another sports and Jesus theme. Our guest next week is a guy named Jason Romano, who was one of the top executive producers at ESPN until he walked away in 2017 so he could better share his faith, and he does so with a website and a podcast and much more called Sports Spectrum. You need to check it out. He'll be our guest next time on the Dan Scott Show podcast. It's brought to you each and every episode by our friends at Todaro Pizza. They are the presenting sponsor. Thank John again for all that he does to support what we do here, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next time. One more time, a thanks to our guest, Dennis Sarfate, the former big leaguer and Japanese legend who has now made it his life's mission to be an advocate for the unborn. We'll see you again next time on the Dan Scott Show podcast. This has been episode number nine. And until then, I'm Dan saying God bless you. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.